0: Refresh your career with a blended learning course at Griffith College. A flexible study option that combines online and in-class lectures. Dublin Cork Limerick. Visit Griffith.ie.
1: We acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to them and their cultures and to elders both past, present and emerging. G'day Murder in the land of Oz <clears> throat> Sorry Throat's a bit <laughs> Deep
0: fried eggplant <laughs> Jess is high on deep fried eggplant She high,
1: is Yeah And at the like really manic stage today Yeah The eggplant is we only had, one factor <laughs> Yeah the eggplant's only one contributing factor um, <clears throat> Personal sidebar I had a complete like anger fit to Ellen on the phone the other night I don't think I've ever been that mad.
0: Oh, Jess was so mad ever. and she yelled at me and I was, well, she didn't yell at me, but she yelled. And I was like, I'm two and a half thousand kilometers away from you. And I'm so afraid that you are going to cause me physical harm.
1: Like the people in Brisbane city must have been so terrified of me. Cause like, I was literally just like walking around going like the audacity she was yelling she was full on (laughs) yelling
0: like somebody would have filmed it and like put it on youtube with like a world star hip-hop thing down the bottom like it was a fight
1: it was pretty fresh i'd had a interesting textual conversation with a uh person and um (laughs) person and yeah frustrated me so i got a bit mad but yeah so ellen was exposed to that i weren't exposed to our lovely listeners to that um welcome back everybody Uh, Welcome to our third episode for our Northern Territory season. Very Mm -hmm. happy to be here. Um, The day that this comes out is the uh, 27th of January, which is uh, the day after Australia Day, which isn't directly linked to the case that we're talking about, but um, was a contributing factor into why I uh, chose this case. Um, We'll get into a little bit of a discussion on our thoughts on the Australia Day uh, I'm yes, sure right. everybody is just like
0: just waiting to hear two white people's thoughts on Australia Day. Yeah. You guys are just like, wow, that's, that's what, what is going to be? That's what everybody needs. Wait, are you, are you guys left-wing millennials? I wonder what your
1: take on Australia Day is going to be. Yeah, I wonder. Um, so we'll get into that uh, before we, uh, pr- well, before I get cracking with the episode, um, got to shout out our new Patreon. So we've got Alicia, Jesse, and Monique who joined us. So lovely to have you. And then we got a beautiful email from a lovely girl called Georgia who was letting us know on some cases for us to cover for our coming up ACT season because um, Ellen has a confirmed case, but we're going to have a look into some of the um, unsolves that Georgia sent us. So thank you so much, Georgia, for taking the time to send us a lovely email. It was very sweet of you. Um, also so we did get a bit of response to people like liking the check-in thing that we did at the top of the episode last week which I thought was really funny so last week average for like the entire table so me Ellen and um, podcast producer Zane uh, was about a 3.5 not great Mm -hmm. um Ellen where are you sitting today I'm a seven you're a seven wow I'm a seven Things are rock like, on, you know. Rock on.
0: I'm a I'm a Cancer, so my emotions change like once every five nanoseconds.
1: But I'm I'm a solid seven. Things are good. Lovely.
0: How um, are you? Zane,
1: where are you sitting out on the step? Oh, he's a three. Okay. Zane's a three. Okay. Um, I I had a bit of a cry on the bus on the way here. Luckily, I was wearing sunglasses, so nobody saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still a bit like emotionally frustrated. Um, bit mad, bit sad. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to therapy coming coming up on Friday with therapist David. God, bless we love him. therapy. We love therapy, and we love therapist David. He is an angel. Um, I am going to say I am about a five. A so five. what? We're at a three, a seven, and a five. So we're sitting at a five. We're a group average. That's of pretty five. good. That's that's group not average bad. of five. That's an up. That's 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 up. That's up. So we'll take that. Um, okay, so. Obviously, with us talking about um, like murder cases in Australia, and to be honest, like looking across the world um, looking at homicides and you know trying to get information about cases um, is sometimes really tricky. Um, it is really especially tricky here in Australia to get a lot of information on uh, homicides that have to do um, with the victims being of people of color, um, especially when they are First Nations people as Ellen and I have said on the podcast, you know, we are allies to the First Nations people of this country. Um, we both acknowledge like as privileged white women that we have privileges in comparison to our First Nations brothers and sisters. And I um, really wanted to look at our First Nations case, but obviously I've been wrestling with the fact that I am, you know, a white, Woman And I don't want to um,
0: Talk over anybody or... No,
1: and I don't want to step over I don't want to step on anybody's toes And take anybody's stories from them Because um, a Warning to um, our First Nations listeners um, This is a case Concerning the, like, the murder of Upwards of 100 First Nations people In 1928 um, This was a case that I didn't know about um, it's, the, it's called the Coniston Massacre and it's actually a really, really important uh, piece of history that a lot, of, a lot more people should be aware of. Um, I'm really ashamed that I didn't know about it. Um, maybe I'd say maybe more regionally, like in the Northern Territory, it might be more common knowledge, but I for sure didn't learn about it in school, um, which I think is shameful. Um, so, yeah, like that's just what I wanted to talk about before I get started, that obviously I have tried to handle this with the utmost respect because... You know this is basically this case wouldn't have happened if um you know if invasion day wasn't a thing um -hmm. this is a really horrific case um but i and i spoke to my friend uh the wonderful beautiful playwright and actor and extraordinaire hannah Balansky, about um talking about this case and she was aware of it um and you know she just said you know you're allowed to talk about it it's something it's part of history that you know people should talk about so um that sort of put me at ease but just to our First Nations listeners just a bit of a warning of talking about this horrible thing if you do find this triggering please do not listen if um, you're going to find this really hard because I can't imagine honestly the emotional turmoil that you're all going through at the moment of you know not being included on a celebration of our you know wonderful country in all of its faults and Atrocities, but we should have a day where everybody can celebrate, and we don't, and it's really, really shitty. Um, so, yeah, I'm gonna stop. You did good. Chittering. You did. I it. did all right. Okay. <laughs> I'm so I've never seen Jess, I don't think I've ever
0: seen Jess nervous in my life, let alone as nervous as I have seen her in this moment.
1: <laughs> I'm very nervous. We're doing our best. We'll do our We're best. We're doing our best. Okay, cool. Alrighty. So, the Coniston Massacre. So we're looking at the 1928. So um, the end of the First World War in Australia brought about a period of great optimism and progress for many people in Australia um, due to, like, many successful exploits of Australian servicemen during the war and international politics. Um, The Digger, which, you know, is talked a lot about... um, People returning from the First World War, Gallipoli, that sort of thing, um, was enshrined as an Australian icon and legend. Um, The 20s saw a higher level of material prosperity um, for people that basically were white Mm -hmm. and not Indigenous people. Um, At the same time, Indigenous people were being forcibly removed from their lands and onto mission reserves and experienced immense hardship through the application of government assimilation policies. Um, So if you... Uh, would like a, if you're from overseas and you don't know about this basically uh, Aboriginal children were removed from their families and their their homes essentially and basically put into missions basically to neutralize them and to make them white which is fucked mm-hmm. um there is if you would like a sort of like ease into the whole research of it i can really recommend uh rabbit proof friends there's a lot of like really great australian performances in that um it's also filmed really really beautifully and it's about uh three sisters who were taken from their homes and placed into missions and their journey to coming back home um so yeah um buh, 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 buh. so they were forcibly removed from their homes and intermission reserves um Indigenous soldiers returning from the war were ineligible for any of the programs or benefits that were available to non-Indigenous soldiers. That was also covered really nicely in um, ANZAC Girls, which is a great um, – because I love a period costume drama. Um, they had a few um, Indigenous uh, diggers in that show and, like, talking about the differences between the the white Australians that were serving and the Indigenous people. Um so yeah, they were ineligible for benefits, and um, they had no access to medical treatment, and were ineligible for a soldier settlement program, which is gross. Um, so you'll find the Coniston uh, homestead; it's uh, about a thousand kilometres south of Darwin. Um, so Coniston is uh, one of the southernmost homesteads in uh, the Northern Territory. Um, so. Central Australia, as it's called, like the, um, like just upwards of. The middle uh, bit. Alice Springs, the middle bit. Very dry. There's lots of fuck all, as we've said. Australia, the land of fuck all. Land of fuck all. Um, land of fuck all. Um, was like the last colonial frontier. And it was quite sparsely, uh, sp- like sparsely um, populated. And also, it was suffering one of the harshest droughts on record, obviously, with um, like white colonials, I'd say. Um, so In the white colonial record, it was one of a the white worst colonial record. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, so, appropriating water resources was like um, really, like, obviously, the farmers coming in and like trying to, you know, propagate crops and shit. Um, they were having like exclusive control over water. And um, with the droughts and everything, and like the water holes basically dried up. Mm-hmm. And so, this was like starving. Um, no, nomad, like uh, nomadic uh, First Nations people that were, you know, living traditionally. I guess, mm-hmm. um, and that was their, you know, because it's very interesting, like listening to the conversations, especially at the moment about um, surrounding Australia Day and just in general about how um, the First Nations people like know how to treat this land because it is their land, mm-hmm. and and they've you know, been here basically- for one hundred
0: and twenty thousand years,
1: exactly. So they know how to make this land work because it is their land Mm -hmm. um and basically taking those water resources from them is going to kill these people Mm -hmm. and it did um so so um, basically um first nations people were like forced to like leave areas that they've been living in for you know however long um which you know is and basically they were just walking to try and find water so that they could survive um so it was believed that the white community uh with like the interests of traditional um, aboriginal landowners and those cattle stations couldn't be reconciled um and you know it was either one or the other that could prosper um so people started um so indigenous people were roaming trying to find um, places with water that they could eat and survive um and you know people were trying to maintain these water resources that they had stolen in order for them to you know grow their
0: crops and keep their
1: grow their crops and keep their cattle yeah. alive so coniston is still a cattle station um it's it also it's quite famous for its in, introduction to um solar power um it was developed in 1923 by randall stafford um and because of the practices that they have come into recently they're still thriving um so Fred Brooks is who we're going to be uh, is one of the people we're going to be talking about and Randall Stafford so they were mates um they were they had met many years ago um in South Australia around Lake Eyre uh working on one of the stations there um Stafford was um native from South Australia so he you know came from a well-off family but had like really taken to living in the bush area so he decided to move out there um the background on Fred Brooks is a little bit is unknown but as of 1928 both men were in their 60s um so Stafford had taken up the lease on Coniston in 1917 and Brooks arrived to help out with him sometime late in the 1920s the date isn't really known um Brooks was said to have spent his whole adult life, um, apart from, uh, basically white Australia living on outback stations. Um, he had no family, money or ties. Um, most like contemporary records said, like called him harmless, which yeah, right. Um, he was apparently quite tall. He was six foot two, um, and was like a tough guy. Cause he, you know, the survival of like the harsh extremes of like Tough, living in the central area
0: man you know
1: mm. huge from a Australia. yeah yeah that kind of vibe so um conditions at coniston at this point were described as quite bad um stafford was barely keeping things going and had to um like no pay to offer um Fred Brooks um a few of the watering holes on the station were the only like decent water source that they had um and so and like the region was in its fourth year of drought which is oh my god a drought in 19 the 1920s like goodness Mm. me no thanks um so Stafford uh you know Stafford related in like the years since that like Coniston was becoming quite dangerous to live So, Fred Brooks at this stage was 61. He'd worked as a station hand on Coniston. Um, He had asked Randall Stafford if he could go out dingo hunting. And Stafford was a little bit apprehensive because um, local indigenous people were getting a bit upset with Fred Brooks because he had started a relationship with a First Nations woman. Um, So there had been like some threats made against him. Um, She had apparently this, you know, records are a little bit fuzzy on this, but apparently um, the lady that Fred Brooks was involved with um, was said to have broken the um, like traditional marriage laws. And I was reading up on this. Um, So the marriage law was governed. So I've gotten this from Common Ground, like the Common Ground website. Um, so this was marriage law was governed by Aboriginal law during this time breaking a law was a punishable offence um, and like this you know could also be the reason for like the the violence that ensues that we're going to talk about against Fred Brooks um, so basically Brooks left Coniston with two camels on the 2nd of August and with um, two Aboriginal boys uh, Skipper and Dodger to trap dingoes um, so the price of the scalps of a dingo as of 2011 was like 10 uh was was said to be like 10 shillings so in 2011 as of the conversion would be about 35 dollars. so that would have been like quite a lot of money back then um so he found some he set up camp um and he knew some of the Um, like he knew some of the locals as well um, that were living around there so he felt comfortable to camp around there Um, the first two days were sort of uneventful, he caught um, a few dingo dingoes so around the 4th of August um, Charlton Young who was another person uh, and a companion were exploring the area for a mining company and they stopped and um, basically told Brooks that the um, they described that the, uh, the First Nations people were getting a bit cheeky um, and they were demanding like food and tobacco because obviously these people were running out of water and food. So they, you know, asked for help. How audacious of them, goodness me. <laughs> um, and around about this time, um, this was when um, Aboriginal children were starting to be taken away um, to Alice Springs. So obviously there's going to be some like Heavy like turmoil in the air. These people, you know, they're losing their children. It's really fucked There's up. There's
0: a lot of tension. There's, There's a lot, a of, lot tension.
1: of tension. There's a lot of tension. So um, Brooks had been like approached several times to trade with um, local people, but he had refused until the 6th of August. Um, so basically then this man called, um, I'm not going to pronounce his uh, first, Japan. Uh, Japanunga or Bullfrog as he was known um basically and his he had three wives and children that were with him and they approached um Brooks for tobacco and for food um so basically his wife uh, Murangadi um basically in exchange for the food and the tobacco was washing his clothes and performing chores around the area um, and basically she went and she did the chores and then the next by dawn the next day um she didn't return so there's a couple of different accounts of like what actually went down um so basically i watched this incredible documentary that was filmed um with uh, local people to the area and people that had actually that had relatives that were involved in the uh, massacre, and they um, basically were a part of the cast of filming this story about Bullfrog mm-hmm. coming into the area looking for water and for like Fred Brooks on the air, like Fred Brooks was on the area, and it was really incredible how they put this all together and actually speaking to people that were either place of the massacre or they had family involved by it um so basically bullfrog's wife uh was cleaning up the camp there was a bit of a kerfuffle um and some reports said that she uh just never came back to camp and bullfrog it was like a couple of hours some people said that it was like at least a day that he waited until he um went went to find Mm -hmm. this girl um his wife um so one of the stories is that bullfrog uh, found his wife in bed with Brooks and started attacking Brooks um, using uh, he was basically attacked and killed Brooks essentially. so severing his uh, artery in his throat um, some like some accounts also claim that bullfrog had help from uh, his like uncle um, that came and other um, First Nations leaders came and, and obviously some everybody was a bit worried because of the you know what was going to happen after this event but because you know this was to do with you know um the marriage law that was you know Mm -hmm. basically a punishable offense in Mm -hmm. their culture Mm -hmm. okay so um basically fred brooks has been killed um and then he has uh you know Bullfrog ordered the two boys that were traveling with Brooks to uh, travel back to the Coniston homestead and basically say that Brooks just had died mm-hmm. randomly. Mm-hmm. So they went back to the the homestead. Um, there's a couple of different uh, versions of the account of like how they came across Brooks' body. Um, and then there was a book that was published in 1984. So it was believed that Bruce Chapman, um, who was the prospector who, you know, was first on the scene found... Um, that the following day like an aboriginal person had um basically found the body in this uh it was like chopped up and like buried in Mm -hmm. a um uh like a rabbit's burrow so um randall stafford had been uh to the Alice springs police basically um it was about like the cattle on the coniston uh homestead about like apparently his cattle were being speared Mm -hmm. Um, And then he, when he arrived in Alice Springs, he'd been told of the murder and the dismemberment of Brooks. Mm -hmm. Um, And he decided to wait for the police. Um, So no one actually returned to the area to retrieve the body. And then on the 11th of August, uh, government resident JC Carwood sent Constable William George Murray, who was the officer in charge of the Barrow Creek area, and he was also the, um, the chief protector of um, Aborigines, First Nations people, um, to Coniston to investigate the c- complaints of the cattle spearing. Um, he was also told of the murder. So then uh, Murray drove back to Alice Springs, uh, telephoned Carwood, who refused to send uh, reinforcements, um, telling, basically telling Murray to deal with the First Nations people as he saw fit. So he uh, returned to Coniston, questioned uh, Dodger and Skipper, the two boys that had been Mm travelling with Brooks, um, who described the circumstances of the murder and basically said that uh, Bullfrog and Marangali, his uncle, were the killers. Mm -hmm. So according to uh, Murray's report, um, he also received the names of like 20 other accomplices that that was said to have been involved. Um, It was actually never said if they were actually there at the time of the murder or if they were eyewitnesses or you know whatever else so he they basically just, just had all of these names or... yeah yeah so uh William George Murray then organized like a group of people uh consisting of um a tracker um named Patty Alex Wilson Dodger um the Um, and another tracker called major who was also the um the older brother of skipper one of the boys that was traveling with brooks um randall stafford and then two uh white itinerants jack saxby and billy briscoe um so brooks was said to have been killed on like the 7th of august um and his body you know buried so then the 15th of august um bruce chapman oh my god me 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 sorry i feel like i'm not making any sense but i'm trying to get through this as best as i possibly can um so the 15th of august bruce chapman arrived at coniston sent chapman patty alex wilson and three aboriginal trackers to find out basically what had happened um the three uh the three of them found the body of brooks and buried him on on like the edge of the riverbank um in the afternoon at like two um, local First Nations people arrived at Coniston to trade the dingo, like dingo scalps, mm-hmm. that Fred Brooks may or may not have had, like in, on his person, or you know. Um, and obviously, oh. people thought that they believed that they were involved yeah. in the in the murder. So basically, the Paddy guy arrested them immediately, um, and Woolinger like slipped his. Uh, like basically ran away and attempted to escape. Um, and George Murray shot him and he fell with a bullet wound to the head. Um, and then basically he was, you know, he'd fallen already, but he was continually to be um, beaten up. Um, and then Woolinger was uh, chained to a tree for the next 18 hours. Oh, fuck. Which is honestly the most... With a bullet wound. Thing. Yeah. So the next morning... Um, they grabbed uh, Wollinger off the tree and they put him in foot chains and they set out to the Lander River where they found the camp of 23 Wolperi and um, like people at, at Naginjaru. Um, with the posse encircling the camp, Murray rode in and was surrounded by Aboriginal people yelling. Um, Briscoe started shooting with Saxby and Murray joining in. Three women... Uh, three men and a woman, Bullfrog's wife, um, Marangali, were killed from the encounter with another woman dying from her wounds hours later. Uh, a subsequent search of the camp turned up articles belonging to Brooks. So there were um, items of Fred Brooks at the camp. Um, Stafford was furious about what had happened, about the killing of basically these innocent people. So he returned to Coniston on his own um, during the night, George Murray then captured three young boys who had been sent by their tribe to find um, find out basically what the police party was doing. Um, Murray had the boys beaten to force them to lead the party to the rest of the Walperi people, but they um, had they done so, they would have been punished by their tribe. Um, to resolve the dilemma, the three boys smashed their own feet with rocks <gasps> because they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to lead these people to their tribe and also uh-huh. they didn't want to get in trouble with their their tribe.
0: Oh my God. Um,
1: despite the their injuries, Murray um, forced basically the now crippled boys to lead the party. Um, by nightfall, they reached Cockatoo Creek where they sighted four Aboriginal people on a ridge. Um, Paddy and Murray captured two, but one ran with Murray firing several shots at him, which missed. Paddy then knelt and fired a single shot, hitting the fleeing man in the back and killing him instantly. After questioning the other three and finding that they had no connection with the murder with the murder at all, um, Murray released them. Um, the next two days saw like they had no contact with any um, Indigenous people, um, but like word had obviously starting was starting to spread about these white men that were coming and were killing. They're basically people. just
0: wandering around the land, murdering any Indigenous person that they come across.
1: Yeah. Pretty much. Um, so they returned to uh, Coniston. Um, they left uh, Woolinger and one of the three boys um, was 11-year-old, Lol uh, L- oh my goodness, um, he was known as Lala and he would become one of the chief witnesses involved in the inquiry that will be coming up and, you know, basically his crushed feet that he had done to himself in order for him to not be leading these people to his tribe, um, they had started to become, they, like his feet had started to become really badly infected Um, and was basically left with Randall Stafford um, and before the group led uh, head head north to continue the search. Um, Following tracks, the patrol then came upon a camp of 23 Wolperi people, mostly women and children, approaching the camp murray ordered the men to drop their weapons not understanding english obviously the um, women and children fled the men stood their ground to protect them the patrol opened fire killing three men three um injured died later of their wounds and an unknown number of wounded people escaped so this is the thing with this account i mean obviously most of the records are going to be from the perspective of white men Mm -hmm. so the original count of i'll get to this at the end as well but like the original count of this was like 30 people had been murdered Mm -hmm. from like locals like from stories and like literal um anthropologists going and speaking to the people of the area it's looking like from what they said it was like upwards of 100 maybe 200 people that had been killed holy fuck by these events yeah um Okay, so by Murray's Murray's account, he met four separate groups of the Wolperi and in each case were obliged to shoot in self-defence, a total of 17 casualties. He later testified under oath that each one of the dead was a murderer of Brooks. Yeah, right. Um, The Wolperi themselves estimated that between 60 and 70 people had been killed by the patrol. Um, so by the 24th of August, uh, Murray captured an uh, Indigenous person under the name Akurkra A- and returned to Coniston where he um, collected Woolinger. Um, he can, he um, collected another man that had been captured called Padiga. Uh Willinger had died that night, um, still chained to the tree. Um, then marched the two uh, 390 kilometres to Alice Springs Arriving on the 1st of September, Akirkara and Padigia were charged with the murder of Brooks while Murray was hailed as a hero. On um, the 3rd of September, basically, Murray set off for Pine Hill station to investigate the complaints of um, further cattle uh, spearing. Um, Nothing had been recorded about this patrol, but he returned on the 13th um, with two more prisoners. Um, on the 16th of February, Henry Tilmouth of the Napierbury Station shot and killed an Indigenous person that, was, um, that he chased away from the homestead. Um, this incident was also included later in the inquiry. The 19th of September, Murray departed again, this time under orders to investigate a non-fatal attack of a person um, on the person of a settler called uh, William Nugget Morton at Broadmeadow Station. William um, by Nugget what- Morton. <laughs> nugget i know All nugget um so basically he uh, by his account there are about uh 15 uh Walpree people um that were also in the same area um morton was a former circus wrestler but also had a reputation of um sexual exploitation of um indigenous women and violence again both um like his white employees and indigenous people um the 27th of august he left his camp to punish the indigenous people for spearing his cattle um at boomerang waterhole he found a large um wolperie camp um what happened here is unknown but the Wulperi uh basically decided to it said that they turned on morton he probably i would say from his reputation as being like a violent and a very um sexually aggressive man i'd say he probably would have made advances um So, during the night, they surrounded his camp and at dawn, uh, 15 men um, that were armed uh, rushed at Morton. Um, His dogs uh, attacked the Indigenous people and after breaking free, Morton shot one and Uh, shot one of the indigenous uh, men that came and the rest of them ran away he returned to his main camp and was taken to the tea tree wells mission where a nurse removed 17 splinters from his head and treated him from a serious skull fracture but he was alive um from the station the 24th of september a party consisting of murray morton alex wilson jack cusack who um um, basically, embarked on a series of encounters. Three incidences were later described by Murray in which uh, 14 Indigenous people were reportedly killed, but it's likely that there were more. Um, at the Tomahawk uh, waterhole, four Indigenous people were killed, while at the Circle Well, uh, one was shot dead, and Murray killed the other with an axe. Um, they then moved east to the Hanson River, where another eight were shot. Morton identified all of them as his attackers. The party then returned to Broadmeadows to replenish their surprise before travelling north. Um, no reports on this part of the, rep- uh, the patrol were kept, but according to the Wolperi people, this uh, patrol encountered um, the Indigenous people at Dingo Hole where they killed four men and 11 women and children. Oh, my fucking God. This is... The Wolperi also um, recount how the patrol charged uh, a corroboree at Tippenbar. Uh, Tipinbar, uh rounding up a large uh, number of Indigenous people like cattle before cutting out the women and children and shooting all of the men. Um then okay so the uh, constable william george murray was back in alex springs as of the 18th of october where he was asked to write an official report on the police actions the report was only several lines long and he wrote uh incidents occurred on an expedition with william john morton unfortunately drastic action had to be taken and resulted in a number of male natives being shot um no mention was made of the number killed um the circumstances of the shooting or where they actually occurred
0: and also of the women who were also murdered.
1: Exactly. so as we said a Kirk, uh, a Kirkra and Padigya who had been arrested for Brooks's murder um this trial took place at the Supreme Court of Central Australia located in Darwin um, this was the um, the seventh and 8th of November um, this was before Justice Marlin the first witness was 12 um, year- old Lala who had testified in detail that he saw a Kirkra and Padigya and um, and bullfrog kill brooks but they hadn't found bullfrog at this point um he also testified that the that all the aboriginal people that had helped them were now dead um constable murray took the stand his evidence becoming so involved in justifying his own actions in killing suspects that justice marlin reminded him that he himself was not on trial (sighs) and to avoid facts not relevant to the guilt of the accused oh my god um the court then adjourned for lunch um the verdict was a foregone conclusion, as all that remained was the reading of the confessions uh, made by the accused in Alice Springs. Um, a few, uh, a couple of, um, it's there's this account that basically, just uh, the justice Marlin got really mad because, like, even though the jurors had been um, supplied lunch, a few of them had just left, um, and so and like just left and went home to eat and he was like um Um, okay so we're gonna have to have a new trial now um so then the new trial started with Lala being asked to repeat his evidence this time his evidence also still maintaining that the accused were the murderers was completely contradictory to what he had said he Mm -hmm. was a child he'd probably been coerced I would say um under cross-examination it became apparent within minutes that he had been coached on what to say Mm -hmm. um with the Prosecution, uh, when the prosecution tried to introduce the, the written confessions of the accused, um, Justice Marlon pointed out that as the accused had been charged by a South Australian rather than a Central Australian magistrate, he would disallow the statements.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Um, yeah. So the prosecution decide, uh, declined to call the accused to testify. Uh, Murray took to the stand next, angering Justice Marlin when he repeated his justica- justifications on killing the suspects. Mm-hmm. Um, the judge remarked it appears for it appears impossible for all those bands of natives to be associated with the murder of Brooks. It looks as if they were shot down at different places just to teach them and other Aborigines a lesson. Thank you surprisingly
0: woke judge from the 1920 s.
1: Big mood, Justice Marlin. Um, basically, with uh, no evidence of guilt presented, Justice Marlin ordered the jury to acquit the accused. Um, during his testimony, uh, Murray said that the group had shot to kill. Um, Justice Marlin then says, uh, Constable Murray, was it really necessary to shoot and kill in every case? Could you not have occasionally shot to wound? Murray said, no, Your Honour. What is the use of a wounded black fellow hundreds of miles from civilization?" Justice Marlin said, how many did you kill? And Murray says 17. And Justice Marlon said, you mean you mowed them down wholesale. And that's from the Northern Territory Times, the 9th of November, 1928. Holy fuck. Yeah. So in the courtroom uh, to hear... The, um, to hear this and the other evidence of the massacre was um, Athol McGregor, a Central Australian missionary. Um, he passed this, uh, his concern on to the church leaders of the area and eventually on to William Morley, outspoken and influential advocate for the um, Association for the Protection of Native Races, who did the most to secure a judicial inquiry.
0: Not a fan um, of the, that
1: name. No, The name of that
0: organisation, understand the spirit, but the name, questionable.
1: Uh-uh. Uh, the federal government was also under considerable pressure to act on getting this inquiry to happen. Um, The British media had been reporting on Australia's uh, treatment on the Indigenous people. Um, So a federal election was due on the um, 17th of November and the League of Nations had basically publicly criticised the case. Um, During the trial, Murray was billeted with the Northern Australia Police, although um, Murray officially admitted to only 17 deaths. Constable Victor Hall said he was shocked with Murray's freely expressed opinions of what was good enough for a black fellow and claimed that he bragged to fellow officers that he killed closer to 70 than 17. Um, the Board of Inquiry uh, was presided over by police magistrate A.H. O'Kelly and was deeply compromised from the start. It's three members being handpicked to maximise damage control. J.C. Carwood, government resident of, Stra- of the Central Australia and Murray's immediate superior being one of them. Mm. Um, Carwood revealed his own disposition in a letter to his uh, departmental secretary shortly after the massacre trouble has been brewing for some time and the safety of the white man could only be assured by drastic action on the part of the authorities i am firmly of the opinion that the result of the recent action by the police will have the right effect upon the natives holy shit the board sat for 18 days in January 1929 to consider the incidences, Brooks, Morton and Tilmouth, um, that resulted in the deaths of um, the Indigenous people and in, w- and in one more day finished its report finding that 31 Aboriginal people had been killed and that each that in each case the deaths were justified. That is the most bullshit shit I have ever heard in my life. Exactly. The hearing decided that in face of the indubitable evidence to the contrary, that there had been uh, no drought in Central Australia, evidence of um, ample native food and water supplies, thus no mitigation for cattle spearing. Um, a journalist Sorry, they found that, that there was
0: no drought? Uh-huh. What? Isn't that the most
1: white thing ever? Oh, you're fine. You've got plenty of food and water. There's no need to be like... That's... Fuck off.
0: That's fucked on a whole other level.
1: Um. And there was a, yeah, so there was an article written for the Adelaide Register News. It said, five years of drought have burnt every blade of grass from the plains and left a wilderness of red sand. The wonder is that any living thing survives. Every settler settler visited by the board had lost between 60 to 80% of his stock um, to the drought this year alone. Um, So the day after this report was published, a settler replied in letters to the editor that the drought made life of one you worth more to Australia than all the blacks that were ever here, isn't that the most like? I can't. I, like, can't. I am angry. I can't. Um, Carwood, so uh, George Murray Superior expressed his satisfaction with the outcome in his annual report for 1929, writing, "The evidence of all witnesses was conclusive. The board found that all shooting was justified, and that the natives killed were members of the Walmuller tribe, which." it's not right is the um the Walpuri tribe from Western Australia who were um marauding on a marauding exhibition with the avowed object of wiping out the white settlers
0: that is evil
1: Uh uh-huh um so following the appointment of O'Kelly who ran the um board of inquiry um he had stated his intention that the inquiry would not be a whitewash and it was speculated that he had been got at whatever that means um He travelled by train from Canberra to Melbourne with Prime Minister Stanley Bruce, who was campaigning for the upcoming election with the White Australia policy as his party's main platform. Accompanying him, O'Kelly later said that he had known how the inquiry would turn out. He would have refused the appointment, saying that the same circumstances um, happened again. Someone would have hanged for the killings. Um, Reporting on the inquiry, once again, the Adelaide Register News... uh, Murray is the hero of Central Australia. He is the policeman of fiction. He rides alone and always gets his man. Um, the Northern Territory Times uh, announced that police were wholly exonerated and that there was not a, um, a shred of evidence, basically, to support the view that the police had conducted a reprisal of uh, or a punitive exhibition. So basically, all those times that they had left Coniston again to go searching. Um, Constable William George Murray remained with the Northern Territory Police until the mid-1940s. He retired to Adelaide where he died in 1975. Uh, William Morton moved out of the area several years after the massacre. Um, Bullfrog, who um, basically was at the centre of the murder of uh, Fred Brooks, uh, was never arrested and moved to Ewan Dumu, which will uh, be familiar to people Mm. from what happened late last year, the um, unfortunate death another unfortunate death in custody. Um and he died of old age in the 1970s. Um one of the few survivors was um Jungari, who left the area after the messi- the massacre destroyed his family. Um Billy Stockman uh Dejari, I'm so sorry, I'm absolutely butchering these names, but I'm giving it my best go. Um, so he was a prominent painter, was a survivor of the massacre. His father was away hunting and survived while his mother had hidden him um, under a bush before being shot and killed herself. Um, there is a strong oral history established after the massacre was recorded with paintings by some Indigenous artists and the, um, you know, the several, like, the tribes surrounding the area that were affected um, referred to, the like, the period as the killing times. Um you know uh like the late 1920s was a time of major drought and therefore in the context of what was still very much like a frontier sort of situation in australia the conflict over resources is really intense as what i said like um you know the inquiry basically finding that you know 31 people had been killed whereas you know you, the people that actually went and spoke to these communities to you know who had lost loved ones you know the count is you know at least over 100 mm-hmm um okay so um the seventy fifth anniversary of the massacre was commemorated in Yohandumu in um the twenty fourth of September two thousand and three and basically there was this um formal apology made by the police for what had happened um you know it's what's like misunderstood about the Coniston massacre is that it's wasn't a single event like it wasn't it went on for like a month and a half yeah it went on for like a period of of period of weeks and months um you know it was raids and it occurred over it, it, like it happened over a number of weeks and you know police parties like they killed indiscriminately um Keith uh Windshuttle who's like one of the great deniers of like frontier violence acknowledged the like the savagery and the disproportionate like nature of like what had happened mm-hmm. in the Coniston um era um and he yeah so like there's no denying there's it no like denying this whole it. thing yeah. it happened this reaction to like what had happened like they killed hundreds hundreds of people. innocent people and affected the lives of thousands of people and this stupid inquiry that they did and yeah so that is the very uh, that's a very my very slapdash version at the accounts of Coniston because it's I've just found this so distressing to talk about so I'm so sorry if I've been like all over the shop but I've just found this so hard to talk about
0: it it is really hard to talk about but I think it's something that like it needs to be talked about and like yeah. this is one of the more famous you know um events that happened during like the frontier wars or whatever which is basically like the mm. the fun cowboy sounding name that we give to you know <laughs> basically you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of similar massacres and similar you know acts of war or whatever that have yep. started from 1776 up until basically the present day yep. um you know i think that it is really important to remember on this australia day that you know th- this kind of thing happened constantly for hundreds and hundreds of years and Mm. it is still happening in many ways like now now the ways that we we being the whites get away with it is institutionalizing these kinds of things we have institutionalized racism we have so many problems at that level that keeps indigenous people you know on the margins of society
1: yeah, we've marginalised the people whose land we've stolen. And like, we literally came in here and we're like, yeah, fuck off. And it is so,
0: like, it's so perfect that this happened over, you know, water rights essentially in drought time because ever since we, you know, Europeans settled, in quotation marks, in Australia, you know, we've fucked the land from top to bottom. We have destroyed
1: yeah. land that was managed, you know – I mean like it can be said of like what's ha- been happening in Australia for the last couple of months like the bushfires mm-hmm. because like indigenous leaders for years have been saying that we are not we're not managing the land correctly we're not ban- we're not managing the land properly we're not doing back burning properly because they know how to look after this land and they know how to make sure that mm-hmm. shit like this doesn't happen like there's like question um question time like interviews with people like literally saying you know, traditional burning isn't being done and that's why shit is getting fucked. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. And...
1: So, um... Yeah, I, just before we get into a bit more chat about Australia Day, I just really want to recommend the Coniston film. Um, if you search Coniston film, it'll come up straight away. You can watch it on Beamer Film. You can also watch it on Rebel Films. It's about 3 $4 to watch. Um, you can rent it for like a couple of days. I've watched it a, I watched it a couple of times. They speak about this a lot more eloquently than I did. Um, also really important to hear from the people that were actually directly involved or whose families were involved because this is their story. Mm-hmm. Um And, you know, talking with local people who were really proud to be a part of this film and this reenactment of what had happened. Mm -hmm. um, I am horrified continually about how our society in the past and in the present, you know, treat first nations people. It is absolutely disgusting. Um, And nothing is more relevant. I think today of all days or yesterday for those listening at home about you know Australia Day I've been terribly ignorant in the past of you know why you know just being like oh it's just a day mm-hmm. like you know but it's not like us or you know the white people landing here on the first fleet like
0: that was not something to celebrate in- no we, we invaded and we haven't done that much to fix it you know we've said no we've said sorry and we've you know had a few token like oh you guys let me rant for a second about the Australia Day ad funded by the Australia Day Council that has been all over public access television, which has, you know, insultingly gotten Indigenous people and, you know, migrants and, you know, gay couples to talk about how important Australia Day is, which I think is ridiculous in a country that has tried so hard for so long tonight to deny all of those groups of people their rights, you know. Yeah. it's not something to be celebrated Australia is an amazing country like I do love Australia um I do think that we deserve a day to celebrate but it can't be January 26th May 8th May it'll happen it'll happen within our lifetimes we'll get it done it's just you can't you know you cannot celebrate you can't honestly look back at our record and be like yep everything we've done is worth celebrating on this day it's just not no, we have one of the it's, most it's not. atrocious records of treatment of indigenous people of any commonwealth country you know i thought it was really interesting that you said that the league of nations um has condemned or the league of nations like condemned australia for the treatment of indigenous people back in the 1920s when the united nations has condemned australia for their treatment of indigenous people and their treatment of um migrants in mm-hmm. the year of our lord 2019 like yeah that you know you cannot celebrate a country that has flagrant human rights abuses you know it's just you know I don't it's just not right it's just there's not, not right.
1: a, there's you know I it at the moment it doesn't really feel like there's a lot for us to be proud of our country has taken some major step forward like steps forward in the last couple of years I don't think I've ever cried more than when the marriage equality was passed mm-hmm. it was one of the most like deeply affecting mm-hmm. things as an ally to the LGBTQ community but I would not feel I, I would be proud as punch if we could finally just stop celebrating a day where we murdered and took away the And made people like feel less important or less than and saying that your way of life Mm -hmm. the way that you have lived for thousands of years is just completely irrelevant to us Mm -hmm. we are civilized and we know what's best so we're going to come in here and we're going to teach you what to do like I don't want to celebrate that it's a legacy that
0: doesn't deserve to be celebrated we need to find a way to truly have some kind of reconciliation and move on as a society and as like a united group of people and that hasn't happened yet and until it does happen we should not celebrate Australia
1: Day on January 26th. Find a new day. Um, I'm gonna sh- yeah exactly find a new day it is really that easy. Um, I want to shout out one lady who I came across on Instagram a few months ago mainly because she's just so fucking stunning and i was just like this girl is just so beautiful looking like i can't even deal turns out she's also a writer and actor she wrote one of my favorite shows that i saw a couple of years ago called black is the new white and she also um was the creator of black comedy that's on fuck yeah um, love that show abc that's uh nick it's her name is nakia lu Mm-hmm. I think that's how you say her last name she's a beautiful looking woman she's so funny and like the the things that she's the really poignant stuff that she's been writing in the lead- up to invasion day has been really inspiring um, my suggestion for I wasn't able to get out onto the marches today just because I was working on this and tearing my hair out um, but if if there is an opportunity for you to get out and support our First Nations people please do Um please call out casual racism because it's not cute i mean in all in in regards to everybody but like especially around this time for the first nations people because this is a really really horrible time and i can't imagine how i can't imagine how you were feeling and i i want to do more um and ellen zane and i have been in talks about what we're going to do in order for us to make a contribution to a um, first nations organization so if you have any that you would like us that we can make this this contribution to please email us um if there's anything more that we can be doing in you know order for representation please email us as well um obviously with us doing our welcome to country that's a very small thing for us to do but the response that we've gotten from people about just how much it means is really humbling Mm -hmm. um but we can always do more and we can always do better and i you know as an ally i want to be doing more so if if you have um if you have anything that we can be doing please let us know we will gladly do our best i'm feeling mad bummed yeah i yeah it's it's hard not to walk or it's been hard not like to walk around today and it for everyday really just sort of acknowledging like what history we're a part of and you know It's so weird sh-
0: still seeing people posting photos on Instagram of them in their Aussie 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 shirts like at barbecues and stuff I'm like bruh mm. like where have you been the past like 10 years um, that this has been building
1: get yeah. over it where have you been um also I wanted to share a quote um, an incredible arts leader. His name is Wesley Enoch. He uh, was the former artistic director of Queensland Theatre Company. He's now the artistic director of Sydney Festival. Um, Organised this incredible vigil from uh, dusk on the 25th to dawn of the 26th, um, basically in Sydney Harbour, where the first fleet landed. Um, not no, not where the first fleet landed, but you know was one of the first settlements mm-hmm. as well. Um, Organised this incredible walk from the top of Town Hall, and basically the numbers from where they started in Town Hall to where they pla- where they had the vigil, the numbers tr- like quadrupled. They ended up with over a thousand people, was wow. surrounded by two hundred and fifty Indigenous flags, and Wesley got up and did this incredible speech. Um, I just wanted to share a little bit of what he said. Um, uh, if a country ever needed to be cleansed, there has been such smoke. A smoke of cleansing of time to reflect now that if we do not act on what needs to happen there will be no country for anyone amen amen well thank you so much guys for listening uh we will see you in a fortnight uh for our next episode in the northern territory um please get in touch on facebook murder in the land of oz we're on instagram at murder on the land of oz as well if you have um any emails uh that you would like to send any like feedback or anything just a uh, chat. please send us an email just to chat loving talking to you all it's very very cute i'm loving it uh where our emails at murder in the land of the at gmail.com if you would like to become a patreon um our patreon link is in the show notes but yeah thank you so much guys thanks everyone Goodbye. What should I listen to now?
0: We are Castology. This is our podcast about podcasts. We are your Castologists Patrick Shearer, Liz Best, and Zanzi Weber.
1: That's not Gunner Productions Podcast.
0: Sounds like there's a breakdown in communication. Next time, come to a Skoda workshop where our after sales team speaks fluent Skoda. We understand those mysterious little sounds and can fill you in on all your car's needs. We also offer free 12 month roadside assistance and only use genuine parts. Book your service at skodaservice.ie. Skoda. Simply clever. Grenke, 100% your finance partner for fast, accessible cash flow solutions. Get back to business with Grenke. Get the latest equipment you need and keep your cash where you need it in your business through leasing and invoice finance. We make credit decisions in 20 minutes and can pay your supplier or fund your chosen invoices within 24 hours of completion. We finance 100% of the asset, no deposits needed, and you can lease equipment from as little as €500 upwards. Grenke, your finance partner for fast, efficient leasing and invoice finance options. That's G-R-E-N-K-E.